Hey everyone, welcome back to Tierna Apologetics. Super pumped to join us today to have Dr. Michael Heiser. We'll be talking about like the unseen realm and all kinds of fun stuff related to that. Um, Mike's a scholar. He's done a lot of work with like Logos. Um, he has his own like ministry school. And he also um, is runs the Naked Bible Podcast. Naked Bible Podcast. I don't know why I didn't say that right. Um, but Mike, thank you so much for joining me. How are you doing today? Oh, not too bad today. Good, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Good, good. Well, we're going to talk about um, the unseen realm and looking at like your views and like what's going on here. Um, but before we get into that, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people that may be listening um, who follow like you and your work and kind of know like where you're at, Mike. Um, and as you're going through this, you're currently like fighting cancer and like going through chemo and all that stuff. Do you want to just give a little update on like how you're doing um, through all this? Yeah. Yeah, we <clears throat> currently I'm not taking chemo. Chemo ended a few weeks ago, and then I had to go through three weeks, uh, three straight weeks, you know, 15 days in a row of radiation. Mm. And that, that sort of kicked my butt. Uh, that was, that was almost worse than the, well, it would, in some respects, it was worse than the chemo. Um, but we're through it. We've been, we've been over that for a week now. Um, the, the effects are still lingering, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pulling out of it. It just, chemo and, and radiation can be really devastating to you. It affects your body in all sorts of ways. But the goal of, of both of those is to get me to surgery. Um, my, my cancer currently is still operable. So it'll be about a month before I, I have another MRI. And then they'll assess, you know, the, the state of the tumor uh, at that point, see if the radiation did what, it, what they wanted it to do uh, so that I could have surgery. Mm. Well, I'm curious, Mike, like what keeps you going? Obviously, like I, I'm super amazed that like, like you're going through all this like crazy stuff right now and like you're, you're taking time to do like podcasts and like you keep working. What keeps you like um, going through a hard time like this? I don't want to get yeah. too far off track, but I think it's important. I'd, I'd be, I'd be really bored if I didn't have anything. To do. <laughs> <laughs> you can only, you can only watch so much TV, you know, it, uh, I just need things to do. So I'm, I'm currently under contract for you know one or two writing projects, so I, I work at those. You know, I, I'm writing for my nonprofit. Um, that, that that takes up most of my time. Um, I still do you know some video coursework for the Awakening School of Ministry, so we're going to be filming in a few weeks uh, of that. So I'm you, you prep for that. I have lots of things to do you know to keep me busy, and but I can do them all at home. They're all basically on my my time so it works out real nicely very very providential mm, praise god for that so let's talk about the unseen realm like um talk a little bit about like who you are like your, your like your theological journey and what kind of led to like your development of the views you kind of bring out of the unseen realm yeah that's a long convoluted story um <laughs> i i became a christian when i was a teenager uh, under the ministry of, a, of an independent Baptist church in our town where I grew up, which was uh, Lebanon, Pennsylvania. Mm. And, you know, I, I was just like any other teenager. I mean, with the, one ex the one advantage we had was our church took the Bible very seriously. So mm. I was spoiled by having a Sunday school class that probably amounted to an undergraduate Bible survey, you know, kind of, kind of introduction to scripture and theology. 
they, they took it very seriously. I did go to Bible college for, for a few years and I went to seminary for a few years as well before I hit graduate school. And, um, you know, I was one of these guys that I, I loved it all. I, I, I've always been interested in anything old and weird. So mm -hmm. when, when I became a Christian, the, the Bible just sort of fit right in there. <laughs> and, you know, I, I got interested in spiritual things and, and, and scripture and study of scripture. I, I enjoyed um, languages. Uh, I took some languages in high school, you know, your, your, the normal stuff you take and like that. Um, so I wanted to do biblical languages, but I, I could have gone to, to graduate school and majored in, you know, anything related to, to scripture, older New Testament, theology, church history. It wouldn't have mattered. I would have loved it all. But I decided to go Old Testament because I thought that was where most of the problems were. Mm. And so I, I, I just had a sense of wanting to, to tackle problems and wanting mm. to have my, my faith challenged. And, and I, was, I was just under the assumption that there was nothing new under the sun. I mean, no, no question that's going to be asked of Scripture, no criticism of it is going to be new. It's, it's all going to be old stuff. And there will be people who have gone before me who have thought very carefully through those things. And I wanted to learn that. So that that's in a, in a very bird's eye view of how I wound up going into Old Testament and Semitics. My, my PhD training, I, I, I took a master's degree at, at University of Pennsylvania in ancient history and Egyptology, uh, where I got some archeology span training as well in, in Syria, Palestine. So biblical world. And, and from that point on, it was just concentrated Hebrew and Semitic languages. So when, when I wound up finally going to Wisconsin uh, for the rest of my graduate training for, you know, we were there, we were in, in Wisconsin for nine years. Um, you know, it, it was all language training. So I, I loved it. Um, you take language coursework in about a dozen dead languages. And, you know, if, if you're into that sort of thing, it, it, it can be a wonderful experience. If you're not, well, you shouldn't be there in the first place. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just I just wound up gravitating toward Old Testament and, and Semitic languages. And that's that's how I wound up gravitating there. And as an evangelical, um, you know, I've, I've had a variety of church contexts since high school. You know, I've been mm -hmm. in Reformed churches, we've been in non-denominational churches. Um, as an evangelical, I'm, I'm glad I did because it, it is where most of the problems are. And I, I, I just find a general neglect of Old Testament in, in churches, just broadly speaking. But I think we are, we are too prone to just swallow what the academy gives to us at any given point uh, as, as evangelical students. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm one of these people that I'm skeptical of everything, but I'm, I'm ready to believe anything. I just, I just need to see data for it. Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm, try to be very data-driven. And that, that's just how I approach um, the study of scripture, study of, of theology, just biblical studies in general, and, and love it. You know, I've never never lost interest in it. It's, my interest only increases year by year. And so you, you get to learn all the things you don't know. This is really what a PhD does for you. At least that's what it should do for you. Mm. Uh, it should be a humbling experience, and mine has been. But uh, that, that's how I got into biblical studies. Just, you know, one thing after the next, just moving on from 
one context to another and trying to progress. I, I, I thought I'd wind up being a professor somewhere and I did that for a while. I, I have over 20 years teaching experience, but uh, prior to coming to Florida, which is where I'm located now, and I more or less just teach and write on, on my own, you know, my own stuff. The 14 years prior to that, I worked at Logos Bible Software. I was one of the ancient language guys there. And I did a lot of general um, writing for uh, reference work, did a lot of mobile, ad, a lot of video coursework, uh, wrote books, things like that. Mm. Yeah, that's super cool, Mike. And it's interesting how oftentimes in our journeys, like we'll look at one thing, I'm um, like, be like, oh, that's super cool. And then we keep going and keep going and you get super deep in the end. And it seems like that's kind of like your story, um, just starting with a general interest in the Bible and getting um, to where you are today and just like diving deep. So I'm curious then, like, let's talk about like the unseen. Ra- oh, go ahead. I was going to say very little in high school, my family were, um, I, I literally, when I graduated from high school, I literally went to my pastor and, and said, what should I do now? Mm. And he said, why don't you try Bible college for, for at least a year? And I said, okay, let's do that. So I wound up going and loving it and just essentially never leaving the, the academy, you know, always being in it at some point from that point forward. But I had very little, little um, mentorship. Uh, so I like to say that, that the Lord put me in situations where the only, dis- the only decision I could make was the one he wanted me to make so I couldn't screw it up. And, and I, that's the way life has been for me a lot. You know, you just go from one thing to the next and you, you trust the Lord that the Lord's in it and, you know, the Lord will get you through it and he'll prepare you for the next thing. Mm, that's good. That's really good. So I'm curious, like Mike, then looking towards the unseen realm, one of the things you talk about, like when I've heard you talk about your story is like, obviously growing up like an evangelical in the pews, um, you don't really hear like what the unseen realm was all about. So you want to talk a little about, about like what kind of like um, biblically, what kind of was your view with regards to like topics related to the unseen realm, like demons and things like that, um, the supernatural realm, the divine council, and then like what kind of yeah. opened your eyes to kind of this view you describe in the book? Well, it, it, it's all very providential. Um, I had no special interest in angels or demons or anything like that. In fact, and, and this is no exaggeration, I'm being completely honest with you. In three years of Bible college, I had one clock hour, not, not one credit hour, one clock hour, 60 minutes of instruction on angels and demons. Mm. And so when, when you go through something like that, and I didn't have any of it in seminary, the impression you get is that it's not very important. So I just didn't consider it very important. It's, it's there, these things pop up. So what, you know, you, you run into them here and there and you, you deal with them if you're teaching something or you're, you're studying for a particular class, you might run into a passage here and there, but there's, there's not a whole lot to it. And it wasn't until I, I hit graduate school, as I relate in, in my book, Unseen Realm, I, I had my, my watershed event which was being confronted with Psalm 82. The, you know, before church one, one Sunday morning, I had a friend uh, at the same church who was also in the Hebrew department with me. And I don't know what we were talking about, but I'll never forget the way the conversation ended. He, he had his Hebrew Bible with him and he opened it up and he handed it to me. 
And he said, you need to read Psalm 82 in Hebrew. And so I did. And the first verse is just, it's not hard to translate. It's very simple. It's Elohim Nitzav Ba'adat El. God, Elohim, we all know Elohim is a name for God, takes his stand in the, in the divine council. And then the next line is, Bekarav Elohim Yishpot. In the midst of the Elohim, he, the first one, first Elohim, passes judgment. And I looked at that and I thought, that looks like a pantheon. Hmm. And, and my second thought was, how in the world could I get to a doctoral program in Hebrew studies and never have seen this before? Hmm. I never saw it referenced in a book. I never saw it referred to in any theological discussion. And there it was. We have a, we have a pantheon in Psalm 82. What do I do with that? So this, this one, I don't remember what the sermon was about. I was thinking about Psalm 82 the whole, whole rest of the time, and it, it's never left me. But I, I couldn't let it go. I had to figure out, you know, what was going on because I also had another thought that I'll bet Jesus knew this verse. I bet Paul knew it. I bet New Testament mm. writers knew it. And somehow it didn't undermine or interfere with the theology that they so faithfully gave us in the New Testament. Somehow mm. these things have to relate to each other. Somehow that th this... This has to have a place in biblical theology that doesn't undermine, again, what, what standard orthodox biblical theology is. So how, how do I get there? And, and uh, you know, I, I couldn't let it go. And I, I went out to evangelical commentaries, and they were no help at all. They would, they would say stupid things like, oh, the Elohim here, the gods here are just men. Really? Mm. Because when I go over to Psalm 89 and read about the same divine council, there the council is in the heavens. The last time I checked my Bible, we don't have a bunch of Jewish guys ruling anything from the heavens. It made no sense at all. It was evasive, intentionally so. Now the, the, the critics, you know, I was at a university, and so you know there, there's lots of liberal, you know, non-confessional scholars there. They loved Psalm 82 because it, it showed to them that Israelite religion, the, the, the worship in the God, of the God of Israel, evolved from polytheism. That was the way they took it. And that didn't make any sense either. You know, because you have all these denials of polytheism. You have one God elevated over all the others. There's none besides me. Who is like you among the gods? You know, and all this kind of stuff. That nothing was satisfying. And, and so... That, that was my second or third year of grad school. And it, I, it, it became an obsession to me to, to answer these questions. And eventually Psalm 82 became part of my dissertation, uh, which led to, again, re, you know, what we call the divine council, what, what Psalm 82 calls the divine council. I didn't make up the term. It's a biblical term. Right there it is. The council of God, the council of El. And so, you know, it never left me. And, and I, I remember, you know, working on gradually again in my dissertation, which was on the divine council in late canonical and second temple intertestamental Judaism. You know, what, what writers were doing with the divine council there. And you could, you could see that they were rejecting polytheism. 
but they were accepting the idea that God had a council. So how, again, how does this work? And eventually it, it, the thought dawned on me. It's not because I'm so smart. It's just because I, I couldn't let it go. And I, it, eventually it, it dawned on me that, you know, the problem here is the term Elohim. We have imported a, a, a meaning, you know, we've, we've imported a modern concept, monotheism, onto Psalm 82. And, we've, and polytheism is another modern concept, and so is henotheism and monolatry and all these other things. We've imported these concepts onto the Bible when they're all, none of them are older than the 17th century. So how would an ancient person have deciphered this? And the answer is actually pretty simple. Elohim is a term that you would use of any member of the spiritual world. So it's a word like ruchot, like spirits. In the supernatural world, that world is inhabited by spiritual beings. Well, what's a spiritual being? A spiritual being is one who by nature is disembodied. Okay, it's, it's real simple. And these, these spirits, these spirit beings are can be called Elohim. It's as simple as that. Now, one of those Elohim is Yahweh, the God of Israel. He's a spiritual being. He doesn't have a body. He's by nature disembodied. He's a member of the spiritual world. But no other member of the spiritual world is him. Yahweh is unique, is what I call species mm -hmm. unique. Uh, there is none like him. And these statements uh, in scripture are about, it, about Yahweh's incomparability. They're not about the other gods not existing because Psalm 82 has, has them existing. Psalm, 89, you know, Psalm 82, the Elohim are called the sons of, of Elion, the sons of the Most High in Psalm 82, verse 6. They're the sons of God because in Israelite, religion and to the psalmist, the God of Israel, Yahweh, is, is, is the most high. Okay? They're sons of God. So you go over to Psalm 89, the sons of God are there. You go to other passages, the sons of God are in these other places. And you have you, you have really the essence of, of what the spiritual world really is. And Yahweh is a member of that world, but no member of that world is him. He is unique. He is by definition superior, ontologically distinct from all the other ones. So it wasn't hard once, once I understood that the problem was the terminology that we were using. And, and from that point on, I, it, it took me in other directions that I wound up addressing in my dissertation. But that, that chain of events, that getting challenged with Psalm 82 was what vaulted me into this, into this area of, of academic inquiry. Mm. I'm sure that's also like, it's got to be super humbling, like, like it's for me it's like because oftentimes like i fall under the same impression that you did that like oh scholars have kind of like they covered all the terrain like there really aren't really like any unknowns in like biblical studies like maybe there's mysteries and things you don't understand but like like i like i've grown up having a similar impression of you it's like well scholars have discovered like all there is to know with regards to like the text and things like that um so that's got to be like super like yeah yeah it, that's that is not the case there's there's plenty to wrangle over Mm -hmm. uh, and then there's, there's plenty of, of debates that turn on one or two verses, even, even one or two phrases within a verse. You know, there, there's, a lot, there's a lot to think about when it comes to scripture. And, uh, you know, my, my passion out of this whole experience, my passion became, I can remember sitting in Memorial Library at, at the University of Wisconsin, again, working on, it, it happened to be Deuteronomy 32, because eventually, when you get into Psalm 82, you run into Deuteronomy 32, 8, where the sons of God, you know, 
are allotted to the nations and the nations are allotted to, to the sons of God at, at the Babel event, the Tower of Babel event, which we never get when we read Genesis 11. And you only see if you, if you see Deuteronomy 32 and you're reading it with the Dead Sea Scrolls. Now there are some modern translations like the ESV and the NRSV that get the verse right. They incorporate the Dead Sea Scrolls into their translation where it says, and the most high divided the nations, he divided them up according to the number of the sons of God. But Israel is Yahweh's portion. You know, Jacob is his allotted inheritance. So you have, you have, this is the Old Testament explanation for why the other nations have their pantheons, why the other nations worship other gods besides Yahweh. When everybody started out knowing, knowing about Yahweh, you read the biblical mm -hmm. story, there's only one deity. And all of a sudden we get idolatry in Genesis 11. Where'd that come from? Well, mm. it, it came from the Babel event. And again, you, you run into that. And, and, I, and as I was discovering this, and, and again, here we have another bombshell going off in my head. The thought occurred to me, you know, most Christians are never going to experience learning this. Because this, this never filters down into the church. And it made me realize that a lot of what, what we think about in graduate school and in seminary, uh, places, contexts like that, never filters down into the church. The, the, the church becomes a, a very, unfortunately, shallow place to learn scripture. You know, we, we, those of us who are really into it, you know, and I had to be dragged kicking and screaming to the conclusion that, you know, Mike, most Christians aren't as into the Bible as you are. And, and that's unfortunately true, but I, I, want, I want more Christians to be into the Bible. I want mm. more Christians to realize that there's, there's so much to discover here. Mm. And it, that became the driving passion. And I, I thought even while I was working on my dissertation, I thought, you know, someday I could do this. I can take what I'm learning in graduate school and learning, you know, in my dissertation, all this stuff, I could translate that to make it decipherable to the average Christian who wants to know, a person who really is interested in the Bible. I, I could do that. And so that became sort of the, the, the thing that has guided me ever since over the last 20 years. That's what the podcast tries to do. It's what all my books try to do. I, I try to make high-level scholarship decipherable to anybody who cares. You don't have to go out and get a degree for it. You don't have to learn all the biblical languages for it. Uh, it it's it's mm -hmm. there. I can teach it to you. I, I can help you move, you know, along in, in your faith. I can introduce you to questions and, and un unpack them for you. And I and I, I'm your friend. I'm the friend of the of the Bible believer. I still believe in inspiration. I still believe in inerrancy. I, you know, I know. I realize everybody gets to define these things, but mm -hmm. I I still use this terminology because I think it's important. Uh, that, that scripture is reliable for our faith and practice. We don't have to go to another other external source. It is the source that, that has authority. And so, you know, that, that's become the, the, the thing that drives me. And, and my, my special focus is this unseen realm, this unseen world. Now, you know, most of what I do, or most of what I'm known for anyway, not, not most of what I do, but most of what I'm known for in terms of publishing is things like divine counsel, the gods, angels, demons, you know, things mm -hmm. like that. But the weird, the weird stuff in the Bible is, is what I, I have become known for. And, it, you know, my motto is, if it's weird, it must be important. 
Uh, <laughs> it's there for a reason. It's there for a reason. It has a play. It, it serves a purpose in biblical theology and the biblical story. But we tend too often tend to just skip over the stuff or to turn it into a cartoon or ignore. I'm going to let people do that. There's a lot in scripture to talk about, challenged with, a lot that, that enemies of scripture would love to challenge us with. And they try to destroy people of faith with. I want to get into all of that, which you know, I'm glad people like you are into apologetics because we, we need more of that. And we need to have, have it be not just Christian philosophy, but, but Bible-centered as well. Hmm. Yeah, it's great. We only have a holistic like um, view of things, Mike. So yeah, that's great. So I wonder then, like, like just kind of flesh out like what is this like supernatural view like you're espousing? So you hinted at like Psalm eighty two, um, where it talks about like a, like almost like a pantheon, um, which is something that like Jesus and Paul and Peter like they're all totally comfortable with because um, it's not going like, to be a threat to like monotheism or anything like that. Yeah. So what is this view? That, that the spiritual world is real. And the spiritual world is more than Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit and angels and demons. And there, there, there are other cast of characters there, but, but when scripture talks about God in the Old Testament defeating the gods of the nations, it actually means what it says. That these gods of the nations were real spiritual entities that arose you know, to, to become worshipped out of the Babel event. When they, you know, God initially appointed them over the nations as a judgment. This is the judgment of Babylon, the judgment of Babel at the Tower of Babel. And they were supposed to be placeholders. Um, you know, God is still interested in, in peoples of all the world because all, all human beings are his imagers. They're all created as God's imagers in Genesis 1. And so God still has an interest in them, but he, he's, there was a punishment uh, handed down at Babel and it involved God divorcing himself from the nations. It's as if, you know, here we've got, you know, we've had the fall, Genesis 3. We've had the, the floods, the flood incident with Genesis 6. And, and again, the, the sons of God there are, are supernatural beings, daughters of men. I mean, the, the text means what it says. This is part of the spiritual world violating the, the, the human world. That in, in biblical thought, these two, both these things are all, are both real and they intersect with each other. And that, that has a ripple effect out into biblical history in terms of human depravity. It's where we get Genesis 6-5, you know, Genesis 6-1 through 4 leads to Genesis 6-5. And I unpack in my books how this works. I mean, it, it's, it's a lot more complicated than you can get into in a podcast. But, you know, the, my book, The Unseen Realm, is, is the one that everybody refers to. I have a lighter version of, of, of that book called Supernatural. That if, if someone, the average person in the pew, I recommend reading Supernatural. If someone has a good good bit of Bible under their belt, then I recommend reading Unseen Realm. They can probably handle it. It's but it's more meat uh, than than supernatural is. But anyway, my view is that this world is real. It's active. In in Deuteronomy thirty two seventeen, the gods, okay, these gods are called Shadim. English Bibles typically translate Shadim as as demons. It occurs, it's a word that occurs twice in the Old Testament. The word actually refers to a territorial entity. And the Shadim here are these gods of the other nations who are hostile to Israel. And in Deuteronomy 32, Israel gets blamed for worshiping them. They're, they're, they fall. You know, this, this is where we get Israel going off into idolatry. 
And, and we know that Paul considered these beings real because Paul quotes Deuteronomy 32, 17 in 1 Corinthians 10, 21 and 22, when he warns about having fellowship with demons. Now, unless you're ready to tell me Paul didn't believe in demons, we have to affirm the reality of, of the Shadim, the gods, the Elohim. They're also called Elohim in Deuteronomy 32, 17. The Shadim are Elohim. And they're members of the spiritual world. We have to assume the reality of the spiritual world and let scripture speak to that. And scripture has a lot to say about it. But what the worldview of the biblical writers was much more predisposed to a supernatural outlook than we are because we're modern. We grow up in a technological society. We grow up as creatures of the enlightenment and the scientific worldview. You know, we, we don't want to affirm these things are real. Even, even Christians, we have, our churches are filled with what I call evangelical deists. That we're evangelical by name, but, and we believe there's a God, and, and we believe God created, but pretty much beyond that, maybe, you know, we, we can question, you know, some of this, this really weird stuff in the Bible is there must be some other explanation. Possession is just mental illness. You know, things like this. Is there really a Satan or not, or a Satan a force? I mean, we, we, even in evangelicalism, we're taught to doubt what scripture says about this world. And I object to that. I think it's an issue of biblical authority. This is the worldview that the Bible puts forth. This is the worldview that, that you know, scripture, uh, you know, the, if we, if we want to say this thing we call the Bible that we say we believe is inspired, we say we believe it's infallible. Well, let's start believing what it actually says in the weird passages and not dismissing them, not looking for alternative you know, points of view. And so my, my work tends to focus on, on these kinds of passages and this kind of, kind of, these kinds of issues. Mm, that's super great, Mike. Um, so if I'm hearing you right, like what we're talking about when we're talking about the unseen realm is you're trying to help people understand that like, like we have this like kind of view like in evangelicalism um, where you have like the, the Trinity and maybe like there's angels and demons and Satan. And that's kind of like the story. And what you're saying is like, we have to like yeah, open. Mm -hmm. And we have to, what you're saying is we got to really open and understand that like, there's a lot of other like beings at play here, like going into the narrative, we can understand that like, um, this realm is a lot deeper than that. And like, when it talks about like yeah. uh, the nations worshiping other gods, like we're talking about like other gods, lowercase G here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that the gods were real. When, when, when Yahweh says at, at, at the night of the Passover, this night I will have victory over the gods of Egypt. He actually meant it. Mm -hmm. It actually means what it says. You know, we, we, well, the gods aren't real. They're just idols. Look, I'm better than an idol because at least I exist. I'm mm -hmm. more powerful than a piece of wood or stone. Well, it, it's, it strips the glory of God right out of the passage. To say that mm. Yahweh is claiming to be better than something that doesn't exist. Well, duh. No kidding. So am I. Uh, this is not what, what the Bible is after. It's not what the Bible is claiming. The Bible is claiming that Yahweh is supreme over all these other spiritual beings. And there, there is a genuine spiritual warfare. And this night, Yahweh says, I will have victory over the gods of Egypt. And he meant exactly what he said. Um, you know, and, and to, to, to give God the glory in a passage like that, we must affirm that these gods are real. Again, Paul does it in Deuteronomy, when he quotes Deuteronomy 32. Scripture puts it forth in, in Psalm 82 and Psalm 89. 
Job 1, the sons of God are there to witness of the creation. You know, there, there are just a number of passages that are informed by this worldview that we tend to know very little about or, or devote very little time to because we're too busy being selectively supernatural. You know, why is it? I like to put it this way. How can we defend the, this approach to scripture where that, that says, well, I believe there's a God. I believe in a Trinity. I believe in the deity of Christ. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe in the resurrection. So those pile of things, we'll call that column A or bucket A. The stuff that's in bucket A, I believe. But the stuff that's in bucket B, you know, some of the weird stuff that demons do, principalities and powers, like them actually being real, uh, you know, which are, they're, they're the princes of Daniel 10 that are over the nations. Where, where, where does Daniel get that idea? Deuteronomy 32, again, the Babel event. Daniel gets his theology from somewhere. The answer is Deuteronomy 32. You know, this, this kind of weird stuff, these weird passages, I don't know if I can believe that. Nephilim, the Rephaim, the Anakim, in, in the conquest narratives, the giant clans. You know, that, that, this is all bucket B stuff. So I believe bucket A, but I don't believe bucket, bucket B. Look, the source for both buckets is the same source. It's the Bible. So what gives you the authority? By, by what authority do you say that the stuff in bucket A is real and the stuff in bucket B is not? That's what I want to mm -hmm. know. By what authority do you make that distinction? Mm -hmm. Certainly it's a scriptural authority. So by what authority are you doing it? Uh, you know, I, I tend to be the, 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 the guy who challenges evangelical thinking in that way. You know, that, that, mm. that's, this is what my books are about. I'm, I'm trying to get people, I'm trying to get people to embrace the, the worldview that the biblical writers had. It's really no more complicated than that. You know, when it comes to the Old Testament, I want the Israelite, the ancient Israelite who believes in a supernatural worldview. I want that Israelite living in your head when you read the Old mm. Testament. And I want the, the first century Jew who believe this, you know, this stuff as well. When you read the New Testament, I want the first century Jew living in your head. The right context for interpreting the Bible are the context that produced it. Ancient mm. Near East, ancient world, ancient Israel, ancient Judaism. The right context for interpreting the Bible is not the Reformation. It's not modern evangelicalism. It's not Puritanism. It's not reformed scholarship of the 16th century. It's not. These things are all later. It's not the church fathers either. The church fathers are two or 300 years later than the New Testament. That puts them over a thousand years later than the Old Testament. The church fathers are not the context for understanding the Bible. None of these other contexts that we grow up with in Christianity, our own denominational traditions, none of those things are the right context for interpreting the Bible. The right context for interpreting the Bible are the context that produced the Bible. And that's why we need, to, we need things like archaeology. We need, we, need to, to, we need to take scripture on its own terms. We need to read it through the filter and through the lens of the ancient world. And the way we, we, we develop that lens in our own head, in our own mind, is to study. We have to study scripture in its own context. The more we know about how an ancient person looked at the world, how an ancient person 
thought about divination or an ancient person thought about cosmology or an ancient person thought about, you know, fill in the blank, basically the, the cosmos, you know, the, the whole concept of clean and unclean. These have very ancient concepts behind them, very ancient histories. And so we live at a time, if, 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 you're, if you're listening to me spout all this and you're thinking, well, gosh, there's just no hope of understanding the Bible because I'm just somebody here sitting in my, my, my living room listening to a podcast. You're wrong. Okay, I didn't grow up knowing any of this stuff. I didn't, I didn't develop in my early Christian years knowing any of this stuff. I am the cumulative result of five minutes a day. That's what Mike is. Mike isn't super smart. I'm not a genius. I don't have a photographic memory. I don't have any of these things. But what I, what I do have is I learn something new every day. You apply yourself and we live at a time when we have exposure to the, to the content of the ancient world as never before. I'm not smarter than Augustine. I'm not smarter than John Calvin. I'm not smarter than Martin Luther, but I, I have something they didn't have. I have things like the Dead Sea Scrolls. I have things mm. like the languages of the ancient Near East translated and deciphered. So I can go read that material and understand what it, how an ancient person thought and how the Bible's own language, Hebrew, overlaps and intersects with that material. It does it on every page. Okay, I can learn these things. And, and, and I can read books where scholars who have taken the time to, to learn the languages and, and spend their whole lives studying very you know, specific topics, ancient Near Eastern divination, for instance, I can go read a book or read an article or, or an encyclopedia essay that tells me what I need to know to decipher the Bible better, to think about the Bible like an ancient person would. We have access to more material than has ever existed at any, any other time in the world. This can be done. Right? It really can be done. I'm living proof of it. I'm just a kid from Lebanon, Pennsylvania. I had no spiritual upbringing. Nobody in my family, my immediate family, was a Christian. I had no guidance. You know, I had a, I had a church that, that had a Sunday school. That's what I had. And they took it seriously. And that was, that was the beginning point for me. But it's never stopped. You just, you just accrue things over time. And you commit yourself to learning to think like an ancient Israelite or a first century Jew when you read the Bible. You can do it. Mm. Well, I think that's a really good word, Mike. Um... And one of the things I really appreciate about you is like, it's helped me think about like, what did, like, what was Paul thinking when he's writing first Corinthians and like, what are the readers, like, what are the Corinthians thinking when they're reading first Corinthians? Cause I think something I never really understood growing up was um, when I'm reading the Bible, like, I was like, Oh, it's just kind of like um, almost like you're reading like maybe like a legal code or something where it's something that's just like, it's meant for like me today um, in the 21st century. And like, obviously like that's not like actually the case it's meant directly towards um, as you said, the people writing it um, and you have to have the first century Drew or yeah. like the ancient Israelite in your mind when you're reading this, because if you aren't, you're going to miss a lot. Yeah, it just. get over and, and, you know, this is a lifelong pursuit, mm -hmm. you know, le learning to read scripture is a lifelong pursuit and we're all at different points in that journey. I mean, I, I look at myself and, and I, I can't. I can't help but wonder about all the stuff that I don't know, you know, and so you have mm. to pick your spots, you know, I'm, 
So this, this month, I'm going to study this. This week, I'm going to study that. You know, whether it be in a devotional context or whether it be I'm going to pick up this book and read it. The material is there. It's there for our use. It's there for our disposal. And, and I, I try to make what I produce, whether it be in podcast form at the Naked Bible Podcast or my own private community, the, the DRMSH community, people can find out about that if they just go to drmsh.com. It's right in the front page. Um, you know, where, where I do a weekly Q and A and, and we read through articles together on a weekly basis too. Um, there's podcasts, there's books, there's articles. There's so much at our disposal that we can devote ourselves to, to become more intelligent readers of the Bible. This is the goal to be a more intelligent reader of scripture so that we learn to think better about God. We learn to think better about what God's doing. We learn to think better about how God loves us and, and looks at us. I mean, in, in, in my book, The Unseen Realm, it's not just a book about angels and demons. I wrote separate books about angels and demons after I wrote Unseen Realm. Unseen Realm is, is essentially a sketch, a broad overview of biblical theology from the, the, the Garden of Eden all the way to the end of the book of Revelation with an eye, with an eye toward how the unseen supernatural world intersects with our world. We yeah. always have an eye on that as we're going through you know, biblical theology, the, the core concepts of biblical theology. And so you, you have to train yourself again to read the Bible in a certain way. When we read the New Testament, we should train ourselves, for instance, how did a first century Jew read this? All, all that guy had was, was the Old Testament. So it shouldn't shock us that the New Testament quotes the Old Testament on every page, every chapter, not every verse, but, but in some, some chapters, it's darn close. I mean, they, they pay so much attention to the New Testament and interpret it for us, especially a guy like Paul. Um, that we need to go back and, and, and school ourselves in, in the Old Testament and how, how to understand what Paul was thinking, what he was doing. Scripture should interpret Scripture. We need to train our minds to think that way. Not that I can just mm -hmm. open the open the Bible and you know, plop down on a verse and you know this is God's word for me today. And it, it may it you know God can work through that. He's He's worked through through silly means like that or, or sort of superficial means like that in my own life. I mean, I've done that. And, and God has spoken to me through that and rebuked me and convicted me of sin. So all, all these, all those things can happen, but Bible reading, Bible hunting and pecking is not Bible study. I want Christians mm -hmm. to graduate to Bible study so that they can get more out of this thing that we say is inspired. Mm. Well, that's super great, Mike. Um, and I appreciate like your your heart for trying to help like Christians like understand the Bible and where it's coming from and like how to like read it and understand it um, correctly. So that's great. So I wonder then like we have about ten minutes left. Like, how do we see like the unseen realm like playing out in like Christianity like today? Um, mm -hmm. One of the things I thought about is like the question of like other religions. Like, there's still these other religions that worship gods um, today. It's so, like is, is the unseen realm playing out there? Um, and like, what about within like yeah. Christianity itself? Yeah, I, I believe that 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 what I call the Deuteronomy 32 worldview in the Old Testament it means that that basically. All peoples other than Israel are, are, are cut off from access to the true God. And it was supposed to be Israel's role to bring them back. 
to, to be a kingdom of priests to these other nations and to help them help them recover this, this, this knowledge of the true God. Israel failed you know, to do that. And that and that goal, that mission was picked up in the New Testament from the, at the day of Pentecost and, and transferred over to, to you know, all Christians everywhere uh, doing evangelism and discipleship. But in, in the meantime, the Old Testament worldview that, that all these peoples are essentially enslaved by other spiritual forces is real. They are enslaved. They're, they are, there are real spiritual beings competing for worship against the true God. And we have to realize this now in, here in the West, in, in modern America, again, we have shut ourselves off to this way of thinking. And so we don't, we don't, see, we don't see it as being active. But if, if you talk to a missionary, you go to someplace in Latin America or Africa, this is Christianity 101. They know that the spiritual world is real. And I, I think the spiritual world is just as real in this world. It's just that we, we, have, we have people enslaved by you know, occult traditions. Occult just means secret. Where, where the activities of these gods, these spiritual forces, the principalities and powers, and even demons, is largely a matter of manipulation of the masses, a manipulation of our thinking either to deny they exist and go on our merry way and think that none of this matters, or we get sucked into perverse ways of thinking about the relationship of God to the creation or the spiritual world to the created world. We become, you know, pagans. I mean, paganism right now is, is, has never been, never had a greater influence in America than it does now. And it gets transmitted through media it gets transmitted through popular culture, through music, through art, through architecture, you know, through television. It, it's it's take it's 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 a battle for the mind. I mean, if you're into apologetics, you already know this, but it, mm -hmm. it, it's a battle for the mind. The way we control and manipulate people's thinking away from ideas like there's one one true God that's superior to all the rest, and that God became a man in Jesus Christ, and Christ died for our sins and rose again from the dead. We, they deflect attention away from that. And, they, and they, they get us to think about truth resides within. So we have to, we have to, we have to look within for truth. We, we come up with our own truth. Or we adopt a major, some other major religion, uh, you know, where, where we worship some other God who, whose identity does not match the God of the Bible, whose teachings does not match those of the God of the Bible. So... It, it, yeah, I think we need to realize that this is a very real spiritual battle, a battle for our hearts and minds on a spiritual level. And it, again, in other parts of the world, people would fall asleep listening to that because they, they get it, they see it. They see, they see the spirit world manifest. Here, the spirit world operates undercover in the guise of, again, the things that we, we have mediated to us through popular culture. Um, that's the way we get taught about spirituality. We get taught by it through media and, and whatnot. So the spiritual intelligences that we're up against are just using these things as tools to steer people away from truth. So I think as Christians, we need to own that. We need to know what's going on. We need to know that the battle is real. We need to stop dismissing the spiritual world. And in our own personal lives as we grow, we need to assume we need to assume that God is active in our lives. We need to have a higher view of providence. We need to assume 
that we have spiritual enemies, that, that there, are, there are forces out there in the world that want to deflect us away from Christ, from, from being an imager of God, from being a disciple of Christ, so on and so forth. That there, there's a spiritual, you know, metacognitive element to the battle that we're in. It's not just about deciding not to, to, to do some immoral act. It's mm. about the way we think. It's about the way we process information. It, not just about the way we behave, but it, it's really a, a battle for our hearts and minds. We, and we need to assume that not only are, is our enemy active, when Paul talks about, you know, principalities and powers and fiery darts, you know, and all this stuff, he, he assumed it was real. Do we mm. assume it was real? Uh, you know, we, we, need, we need to be think, thinking in, in a, just a different mode. Um, again, embracing the idea that we are in a spiritual battle. And, and at the same time, God is battling for us as well. If God uses people and he uses supernatural agents like angels to steer us in the, in the, in the way he wants us to go, that this kind of thing actually does happen. And it could be happening to us. We need to be open to that. And, and, and again, having a higher view of providence in our lives, the things that happen, we need to wake up every day assuming that God is going to be active in our lives in some way and to start looking for it, you know, and, and, mm. and parsing it through scripture, but to, but to just be mentally aware that this is, this is just part of life. Mm. That's great, Mike. I appreciate that a lot. Um, so we're towards the end of our time here. Is there any like last thoughts or things you want to bring up? Um, I feel like you've done a great job. We've talked a lot about um, like maybe like Western like presuppositions and biases and how we read and kind of how like the unseen realm can help us open our eyes to see more of what's happening. So I'll leave it to you. Anything else you want to leave yeah, listeners I, I with? Would, I, would say, I would say don't be discouraged. Let Let yourself progress a little bit each day. Mm. Don't assume that yeah. you've got to you know, be, become, you know, a graduate student and quit your job and go out and learn, you know, a dozen ancient languages, you know, don't assume that. I mean, God called me to do that. It's fine. Okay. It was difficult, I, but I did enjoy it. I'm glad, you know, the Lord did that. And so I can, again, do, do some things where you don't have to, okay. <laughs> um, but give yourself a break, give yourself a, you know, a little bit of time each day to progress and to think deeply about scripture and to think deeply about theology and Christian philosophy. Get into some of these subjects, listen to podcasts, read books, read articles, get into these things to help, to help build the muscle of your mind in these areas and you will progress. It can be done. I'm as ordinary as they come. Just trust me, I'm as ordinary as they come. I'm the, I'm the result of five minutes a day Anybody can do this if they're just committed to it. Mm. Well said, Mike. I think that's great. Um, thank you so much for coming on today. I'll leave a link down mm -hmm. below um, to how people can like follow you and connect you. I'll put your website down there. And yeah, it's been great. Know that we are um, praying for you as you battle thank cancer. You. That cannot be fun. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for coming on and spending an hour over here. Really appreciate it. Yep. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Um, this is Here in Apologetics. If you're new, I encourage you to subscribe, leave a like, all that fun stuff. Um, and if you value what we do, uh, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash here in apologetics. Um, every dollar helps a lot. So if you want to go there and support, that would be super huge for us and be great. But that's it for today. Uh, God bless, and we'll catch you next time.